You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Praise the Lord. Please be seated, church. Happy Easter! So wonderful to see each and every one of you. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church in Broken Arrow. What an honor it is to have you on this good Friday where we celebrate the risen Christ, the death died once and for all. The cross is empty, the tomb is empty, but the throne is occupied. Can we give all glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ? What an incredible night it is going to be. And so what I want to do is that I want to remind you of several things that we're going to do tonight and celebrate in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, one, be praying here in a minute. We're going to open up from Acts chapter 9, and we're going to hear one of the most amazing stories of life change in all of history in Saul of Tarsus. We're then at the end of that service, church, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, family style. Now, the Bible reminds us that the Lord's Supper is for believers only, and so it is our heart tonight that if you are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, you are at the right place, that you would find life and life abundantly in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can think of no better time than at Easter to celebrate the Lord's Supper for the first time in your life with God's people tonight. But this Lord's Supper will be an opportunity at the end of our services. As the Lord leads, you will come with your family and you will take these elements. Now, there will be two cups. There will be a a cracker and a cup of juice that you will take. And you are more than welcome to take them right here in front as the Lord leads or to go back to your seat. We'll have both deacons and pastors available to kind of assist in this process. If you need prayer or encouragement, these men are here and available at these tables. But we are asking after the Lord's Supper that you would go back to your seats and we will continue in worship and close our services together. We will also, right after our services, we'll head to the north side of our campus and we'll celebrate just an incredible night of fellowship. You know, the New Testament writers always see the crucifixion of Christ in light of the resurrection of Christ. We always look to the cross as a means where God dealt with our sin in totality once and for all. Jesus is alive and he's alive in us by faith. And so tonight, we're going to have a wonderful opportunity to celebrate that as we begin to prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday. So just an incredible night, so incredibly awesome that you are here worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ with us. And there have been hundreds that have been praying for this service, that God's anointing and favor and blessing would be upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as I ask God to bless our time together? Our Father God, as many now are still trying to find their seats Lord, we say thank you. Father, may we take the busyness of this week, Lord, the craziness of our calendars. Father, just the the randomness of all of these things that are going on in our life, and may we right now push pause. May we stop and be in awe of your glory. May we take into account what truly matters in our life. And Lord, as we hear of gospel transformation, as we hear a man that was one way, immediately, instantly changed, to follow Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life tonight in Saul of Tarsus. May we claim that victory as our own. May we remind ourselves that that opportunity is available by faith tonight in the Lord Jesus Christ. May today be a day of salvation. May today be a day of a new start, of a rekindling, a fire, a renewal of families and marriages, life, a purpose. Father, may we take all of these things and may we lay it at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ who is alive who's alive in us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this gospel, Lord, that not only saves, but sins, sacrifices, 
unleashes and sustains us, Lord, to lay aside anything else that doesn't bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, it is within this victory and freedom that we stand, that we give honor, praise, and glory to you and your risen King of the universe. Father, we ask your blessing tonight upon your word and Father, these families. And Lord, as we take this Lord's Supper together as a family, have a time of commemoration, of dedication, reflection. May it be seen in light of an empty cross, of a vacant tomb, of a throne that is occupied by the King of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, a King who desires to be our King. Father, it's within all these things that we ask for the glory of Jesus Christ. As God's people rise and sing, all of God's people say, amen. Church, if you would, please stand. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Jesus sacrificed his life, his blood on the cross for us. Let's continue to reflect on that sacrifice and continue to reflect on his life-giving blood as we worship. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide And from the far side of the chasm You held me in your sight So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind For the first time I had hope Thank you Jesus for the
Happy Good Friday, church. Oh, if you would, open your Bibles. Some of you that have them, but not, you can look to the screens. I'm going to take some time tonight from Acts chapter 9, and I want to tell you what is so good about Good Friday. I want to remind you that our content team, creative team, has put together a devotional that walks right alongside this passage that you and your family on Easter weekend can celebrate together. You can text the word glory to 45776. What is so good about Good Friday? Christ followers for now thousands of years have commemorated Good Friday because it is a celebration of the confirmation of the Lord Jesus Christ. After this day, nothing is ever the same. Once Christ has done what he has done on our behalf, the world has never been the same since because on Good Friday, death once and for all has died. That all of our sin done by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that the plans of the evil one against us thwarted. His impending doom begins in Good Friday. That all of history has been leading to this point. That all 66 books in the Bible, two testaments, 1,500 years of history, 40 separate authors have been leading to this moment. Good Friday is coming. But Good Friday is always seen in light of a Sunday resurrection. You see, on the cross of Jesus Christ on Friday, God's righteousness was unleashed upon his son. That God's judgment and wrath then was met with God's forgiveness and God's mercy. That God's son willingly took upon himself the curse of our sin to give us by faith life. That Jesus then saw his crucifixion in light of his resurrection, in light of the hope and the victory that would bring to all of those who would call upon him. Jesus triumphantly confirms this on the cross when he says, it is finished. That sin will no longer reign in God's people because of faith in Jesus Christ. That sin from henceforth will no longer reign through God's people because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross is empty, the tomb is vacant, and the throne is occupied. Jesus is alive and he's alive in us. Which means then that no one is beyond the endless grace and life-saving power of God through Jesus Christ. I wanna give you one of the greatest examples of this from Acts chapter nine. You ever known somebody who appeared to have it all on the outside, but in actuality had nothing at all? I gave this question to our staff this week and several of my friends and my contacts and I was amazed at the randomness of their answers. Do you know a man who appeared to have it all and then instantly had nothing at all? One guy shot back to me, Pac-Man. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, things are going well for Pac-Man pretty well and then all of a sudden it can be over just like that. I was amazed that more than one person said to me, Elvis, hey there, mama, right? Elvis, this man who was born in abject poverty in Mississippi, who would become one of the greatest rock stars and movie stars our country has ever seen had multiple decades of dominance in any chart imaginable in the music industry. But yet at the end of his life was terrified to be by himself, would actually pay an entourage to be with him 24 hours a day because he was so lonely on the inside. He thought he had everything. In actuality, he had nothing at all. I had two friends uh, who were Oklahoma State fans who sent to me Baker Mayfield, right? 
So you have a guy who was one of the winningest quarterbacks of all time, a Heisman Trophy winner, first round pick in the NFL, and now has had a, a pretty just aimless NFL career. No one can better answer this question of one who appeared to have everything, but in actuality had nothing than Saul of Tarsus. We've been in a series called Glory Road where we've been studying the Spirit's work through three individuals. Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7 and Philip in Acts chapter 8, remotely ordinary men who did extraordinary things, who championed obedience and following the Lord's will no matter what. But unlike Stephen and Philip, Saul of Tarsus was an extraordinary man on the outside. He was a rising star in Judaism. For Tarsus was one of the educational epicenters of the ancient world. Paul, even from his own lips in Galatians 1, 10 through 24, gives a first-hand account of his non-Christian past, his unconverted conduct as a legalist Jewish rabbi. You see, the Jews in Bible times saw zeal as a supreme religious virtue. Zeal to them was exemplified through two things. One, a love for God and a zealous hate for what offends God. And so Saul of Tarsus, steeped in Jewish tradition, a man who was becoming one of the most distinguished and renowned Orthodox spiritual leaders of the law in all of Israel, consequently became a terrorist. Literally oversaw the killing of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Additionally, Saul, as a way of life, was so sinfully consumed by his own zealousness and passion, he was destroying Christ's church. He led the way in imprisoning and killing other Christ followers. You see, Saul was by birth a Jew, but was by choice and conviction a Pharisee. Saul was a man who was so callous and self-righteous that he believed Jesus was an imposter that the gospel was a charade, a distraction. And so he gave his entire life to exterminate Christianity and its followers until Acts chapter nine. Until one day where God met Saul through Jesus Christ. And as a result of who Jesus is, And what he has done and the glory of the risen Christ, Paul will surrender his fortune. He will surrender his fame and his heritage and his education. And he will leave all of those things to follow the very Christ that he tried to extinguish. That God through the Spirit will transform Saul so much so that he will change his name in Acts 13 verse 9 to Paul. That he will choose to be little because of the greatness of Christ in him. And God, through this man, will give us the greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist, the greatest teacher, the greatest theologian, the greatest leader the world has ever known. What is so great about Good Friday? That no matter who you were before Christ, everything changes when you believe in Christ. And so what I want to do, I want to take us some time, and I want to walk through this journey in truth that Jesus changes everything. 
Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. That Luke, the author of the book of Acts, continues this narrative of Saul's destruction upon God's people. What Saul was doing in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, Saul is doing now in Acts chapter 9. His devastation upon the spirit-filled, Christ-centered church is widespread. It is devastating. And Luke uses this imagery here in verse 9 of a wild, ravenous, ferocious animal who will ravage everything in his way to achieve his prey. It reminds me of of a lion out in the wild who, if you ever hunt a lion, you have to sign a waiver because you're not hunting a lion. The lion hunts you. And that's what's going on here. Saul is consumed with his zealousness and this hate and his pride has filled his life. He is aimlessly seeking satisfaction in all of these things besides God. So much so that he's destroying God's work. It is within this synergy that Luke reminds us that it is actually Saul who is the hunted, not the hunter. And in verse 2, the Bible says... And for Saul was asking for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he might find any of those belonging to the way, men and women that he might bring bound to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. That Saul in receiving these letters from this ruthless high priest by the name of Caiaphas heads to Damascus from Jerusalem. Now, Damascus is 135 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It was, in any historian's moniker, about a five to six day journey. So you can imagine that, can't you? Day by day, step by step, mile by mile, this seething, ravenous, sinful monster in Saul is gathering God's people. He is seeking to seek those who are of the way. In verse 2. You know, I love that description of God's people. The moment you give your life to Christ, you are a son and daughter of a king. You are then also a bestower of a way. A way of life. A way that believes fervently that life finds its end in the Lord Jesus Christ. That life isn't a consummation of things or objectives or titles or power. But no, life is a surrender of all those things. And in light of King Jesus being alive, he reigns in and through us. For Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, Luke borrows this imagery from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. For Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 40, verse 3, that there will be a remnant of God who will follow the one Messiah of God and who will lead a new way of life not being transformed from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so Saul was with great haste making his way to Damascus. And he sets the stage for one of the most dramatic conversions in the entire New Testament. In verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. That instantly around noontime, The divine, glorious light of God intensely shines around Saul. That the glory of the risen Christ himself, seen theologically in a Christophany here, flattens, overwhelms, temporarily blinds the sinful and prideful Saul. 
And that is why in verses 4 and 5, as he falls to the ground, he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul is knocked off his horse, flattened on his way, collapses in light of the eternal weight of glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that Jesus knew where Saul was and who Saul is? And yet he still appears to Saul. Can I tell you, in the grace of our king, he does the same with us? That no matter what we have done, no matter what we've said, no matter what we think, what we do or should have done, God knows who you are. And he knows where you are. And God's glory still appears to you. Now Saul is confused. He's confronted by the king of glory himself. He knows this is a divine representative, but he doesn't know who specifically. So he respectfully asks in verses 4 and 5. And then Jesus intensely, emotively rebukes Saul's actions. He reminds him that he is not dead, but alive. And as he appears before Saul, he reminds Saul that an attack on one of his Christ followers, on one of his churches, is an attack on Christ himself. Jesus uses his personal name to Saul. I am Jesus, he says in verse 5. I am Jehovah saves. I am Yahweh saves. He personally comes to Saul and he reminds Saul, who is shaken to his core, that salvation and life is humbly available in him. That all of Saul's life has been leading to this exact point. And though Saul will be temporarily, temporarily blind, Jesus will tell him to go by faith into a city. He says in verse 6, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Immediately, Saul is converted. His allegiance and submission to Christ are verified here as he humbly and submissively follows the instruction of the Lord. Though Saul is reduced to powerlessness and helplessness in light of the holiness of Christ, Christ is just beginning with Saul. It is also interesting that Saul could see physically before Christ, but was blind spiritually. Now, in Acts chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, Paul will see spiritually, even though he is blind physically. Why? Because Saul saw Christ, and thus saw himself for the first time. And as a result of it being so perplexed, by this divine demonstration, he, he can't eat, he can't sleep. The, the Bible says in verse 9, he, he doesn't do anything for three days because he is so overwhelmed by being transformed by the undeserved, unconditional grace and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we will never know the sufficiency of Christ 
until we know the emptiness of everything else. Christ is never truly valued until our sin is truly seen. We will never appreciate that the cross of Christ is for us until we understand fully it was done by us. We will never know the depth and devastation of our sin until we fully understand his provision of that sin. God's grace is sometimes early, but it is never late. Every conversion will not be as notorious as Saul's, but every conversion to Christ is as glorious. That this gospel that was offered to Saul on this road, who was blind in his sin, but now he sees, is the same gospel that God through Christ extends to us. It is finished. The cross is vacant. The tomb is empty. And the throne is occupied. Death has died forever through the Lord Jesus Christ. Its wages no longer have a burden on your heart or mind the moment you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of sin and the penalty of sin is removed through the resurrection and the glorious truth of Jesus Christ. As we prepare our hearts now for this Lord's Supper, it is a commemoration of a body that was given, that blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. It is a celebration that God at the cross replaced his wrath with his mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ. His judgment upon our sin with his forgiveness and peace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His condemnation of all of our past shame and all of our desires to make much of life about ourselves and not God. The Bible says that God so loved us that he demonstrated his love that even though we were sinners, Christ died. It is this celebration that you and I walk out of here in newness of life. It says the old country song goes, I thank God I am not what I almost was. Church, it is Friday, but Sunday is coming. Jesus truly does change everything. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and always remember, you are loved.